All right, my name is Mike. If you guys don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. And can you believe it? It's what, December 12th, right? Like halfway, halfway to Christmas in December already. It's crazy. I can't believe it. It's going to be 2022 soon. Like just time is flying by. So if uh, you're just joining us, we've been going through an Advent series uh, Advent just means we're celebrating the coming of Christ, looking forward to the coming of Christ. And this is our third week in this series, uh, celebrating the time of Advent and coming and the coming of our Lord Jesus. And the last two weeks, we've talked about the light that was coming to the darkness. Last week, Brandon taught about lament in the darkness, how we lift up our prayers to God in the darkness. And as we come into this third week of the Advent season, we're going to shift our focus to something maybe a little more happier. We're going to talk about love today. We're going to talk about love, right? What Christmas is all about, what this season of Advent is all about, is about love, about God's love. Does anyone else love love, right? Love, it's the best thing ever, right? If you found your true love in life, you just, like, it's the greatest thing ever. It's the greatest feeling ever, better than anything that you can find in this world, love. And we all seek after it, we chase after it, and there's whole industries built around love, right? The dating, the online dating industry, something like a $3 billion a year industry, and most of that's made up of people just trying to find love. I mean, there's products and books and all kinds of things centered around love. And then there's one of my favorite industries of all that, that's centered around love. I know some of you guys can probably relate to me here. It's the romantic comedies, Right? Right? Who doesn't love a good romantic comedy? In fact, one of my favorite romantic comedies is also a Christmas movie. Anybody seen Love Actually, right? Love Love Actually, right? It's kind of crazy to think that movie's like 18 years old now, right? But there's this story around Christmas time of all these uh, different people who kind of interweave together and these stories of love. And... I think we need a sequel to that movie because, like I said, it's been 18 years. I need to know if that little boy who loved that girl so much and he learned to play the drums in the Christmas concert, well, I need to know if they got married and had kids, right? We need, to, we need to catch up with them. But love is all around us, especially this time of year. We seek it, we desire it, we express it, we give it, we receive it. And that's one of the reasons Christmas is so popular even in a secular culture where really Christ and Christianity and Jesus has nothing to do with Christmas anymore, it's really all about love and another chance for people to experience love. But it all kind of begs the question, like, why do we love? Why do we love? Where does it come from? Is it just uh, what some scientists or philosophers believe is a chemical reaction uh, based off of stimulus, uh, the things around us? Or is it something more? Why does our love also seem as great as it is, as powerful as it is, it seems broken sometimes? Right? Love hurts probably more than anything else sometimes. It causes great pain and suffering. Why? Why is love such an important and prolific thing for the, in the human experience? I think the Bible probably does a better job of explaining love better than any dating app, any book, any scientist, any psychiatrist that anybody can. And today I want to look at a text in 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can make your way to 1 John chapter 4. 
If you need a Bible or would like a Bible, there are some Bibles on tables in the back of the room. Those are our free gift to you guys, so feel free to get up and grab one if you need. 1 John chapter 4 is towards the back of your Bible, uh, if you're not sure where that's at, or feel free to look at the table of contents. And we're going to start in verse 7 today, uh, 1 John 4, verse 7. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, if your Bible is anything like mine, uh, every, you get your chapters, you kind of have chapter headings, and then throughout, throughout the chapter, you might have some different kind of subheadings. And I think the subheading my Bible has for, for this section in John kind of sums it up best. It says, God is love. Right? Love comes from God. Love is God. Now, I want to explore these verses in, in 1 John a little bit more, but what I really want to do is I'm going to zoom out a little bit so we can kind of get the, the bigger picture, right? The bigger picture of God's love. And I think what we see in the story of the Bible, the whole Bible, is God's love demonstrated and weaved into our history. Now, we see God's love demonstrated and weaved into humanity in a lot of different ways, but I want to touch on four of them with you guys today. We see God's love demonstrated in creation. We see God's love demonstrated in a nation, an incarnation, and then ultimately in consummation. So I want to touch on these four today, and then we'll make our way back to 1 John. So let's talk about creation. Have you ever created something? Like something that you were just so proud of, something that you loved, something that was just, you were so passionate about something and you had a chosen medium and you were able just to create something amazing. Maybe you built something with your hands, maybe you cooked something, maybe you painted something, you wrote something, maybe you started something. And the reason that you did that thing in the first place was because of a passion, because of a love. It took love to create that thing. Now, picture if you can the love that it took to design the universe, to create the universe that we see today. The intricacies and the fine details of placing stars and galaxies across space. I don't think we really wrap our heads around it all the time, but each galaxy, they say, has 100 million stars. Each galaxy has 100 million suns, bigger than ours. And then they say that there's 100 billion galaxies full of 100 million stars. Just the grand scale of God's creation. And the design was so perfect, so perfect in fact, that one small planet in orbit around one small star was designed so perfect that it could hold life. Life so fragile that if our planet was just off its axis, just a few degrees, or if it was just a little bit closer to the sun or a little bit further away from the sun, we wouldn't exist. 
but we see the love of God and the beauty of God and the majesty of his creation. And the psalmist says it this way. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. But he didn't just create a universe and a galaxy and a solar system and a planet that could host life. No, he created the life as well. The plants, the animals, the sea life. He created everything in it. And then in his great love, he creates man, different from the animals, different from everything else. He creates man in his own image. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the triune God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit saying, let, let us make man in our image, set apart, made in the image of God, loved so that we can love. Things go wrong though, right? Creation doesn't end perfectly. Because God loved us, we had a choice and we chose to rebel. So we call that the fall, where sin and brokenness entered the world. But that didn't change God's love for us. And even in the fall, we see, we see God's love at work. Now, because God's righteous, he could have just hit, set, he could have hit the reset button and started over. He could have wiped earth off the, the map. But because of his great love for us, he chose not to do that. He chose to continue to provide for us. Even though there was consequences, even though there was brokenness, he continued to provide for us in love. We see God exercising his love in creation. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably get some pushback at this kind of, this kind of talk. You hear people say, well, if God is so loving, then why do bad things happen? If God is so loving, why did tornadoes wipe out Mayfield, Kentucky? I don't know. I don't know why bad things happen. Sometimes bad things happen because we choose to make them happen, right? Because we choose to rebel from God. Other times, bad things just happen. We live in a broken, broken world. But what I do know is that even in the, the world that we live in, the lost and brokenness and the bad things that happen, it does not take away from God's love for us. But then you get the pushback that, well, couldn't God just make all the bad stuff go away? Couldn't he make the sin go away? Well, yeah, he probably could, but that isn't love. Because you can't force or, 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 or coerce love. And because God is love, he demands love in return. But if he made us love him, if he forced us to love him, well, that's not love, right? Love has to be an option. It has to be given. He can't force us to love him. So we have an option to be in a relationship with the God who loves us, with the creator who loves us. Bad things happening does not negate his love. To me, that only amplifies his love. We see the love of God in creation. Even in the context of a fallen world, we still see God's love in creation. And then we see God's love at play when he creates a nation. In Genesis chapter 12, we move the story along a little bit further. We see God set a new plan in motion to show his love to the world. Not just to a nation, but through a nation that he would show his love to a whole world. A plan that began with a man named Abram. And that this nation that God sent Abram to begin would eventually be known as Israel. 
And through Abram, who would be eventually be known as Abraham, and his son Isaac, and his son Jacob, and Jacob's family, God would create a nation to bless the world through. Because God loved his creation, because he loved this nation that he was helping to build, he wanted them to flourish. He wanted to help them, so he set some ground rules for them. Not rules to receive his love, but rules to help them flourish. And first and foremost was to love and honor God. If they could just love and honor God, everything would fall into place. But if you know the story of Israel, they struggled with this. There'd be seasons where God would do something great for them. He would express his love to them, and they would worship him and love him, but then they would forget. In the world, their nation would go into calamity. It would collapse, and there would be suffering, and the people would return to him and say, God, we love you. Please help us. And this cycle would repeat and repeat. Eventually, the people thought that they needed kings on the earth to help rule them when they already had a king and a creator in heaven. So God gave them what they wanted because of his love, but this cycle just continued of disobedience and a nation in disarray. And we saw last week, from as Brandon talked about lament in the prophet Isaiah, that Things were bad for the nation of Israel. They were going into exile. They were being conquered by other nations because they had turned their back on God. And the people were lamenting, crying out for help. The prophet Isaiah writes, though, he still writes, as the nation is crumbling around them, of the loving kindness of God, of the steadfast faithfulness of God. God didn't abandon them, right? There was just consequences for their disobedience. He was still there hearing their prayers, hearing their cries because he loved them. As we saw two weeks ago when Brandon talked about light, right? Light coming into the darkness because every time they would take a step towards God, they would take two steps back. And every time they took two steps back, it would get darker and darker and darker. But the prophet Isaiah said that there was going to be a great light coming to the world to save them, not just to save and rescue Israel, but to save the entire world from darkness. And that light, as we heard a couple weeks ago, is Jesus. Jesus was the light that was promised to save the world from darkness. What we see in this story of God's love is that greater than the love of creation, greater than God's love and building a nation is God's love incarnate. God's love taking on flesh Jesus. If we go back to 1 John 4, look at verse 9. John says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us. By this, by what? That God sent his only son into the world. By this, by God sending his son into the world, the love of God was manifested in us. And that's what Christmas is really about. Not love from giving gifts, not love from this holiday season, but love that God took on flesh. The God of creation, the God who raised up a nation, the God took on flesh because he loved us. We were doing our our pre-service meeting. I love Mitchell said this. He says, The infinite God became finite because he 
loved us. He took on poverty, he took on corruption, he took on temptation, hunger, rejection, and betrayal because he loved you. He wasn't born to royalty, even though he deserved it. He wasn't born to wealth, even though he deserved it. He was born in a manger, not the manger that we think is our little cute wooden box and our nativity displays, right? I like nativity displays. I got one too. It's cool. But that's not what the scriptures talk about. He was born in, a, in an animal stall in filth and put in a feeding trough because they had no place else to go. The God of the universe born this way. Almighty God humbling himself, taking on flesh because he loved you. Now, I love my wife and kids more than anything else on this earth. I really do. But I struggle every day to humble myself before them, to serve them, to love them how they deserve to be loved. Every day, it's a struggle, right? Because I constantly want to put myself first. I want to be first. But the one who deserved first, the one who had no need of humbling himself, humbled himself because of his love for us. Unconditional love. No strings attached. Our love is full of conditions. It's full of conditions. We, we think that it's not, but... We, we think our love might be unconditional. We even might proclaim that on our wedding day, right, that our love's unconditional. We say that about our children. But when push comes to shove and things get difficult, conditions start piling up, right? And that's just the nature of humanity and our sin, that we put conditions on our love. We ask the question, where does love come from? I think it's pretty clear that love comes from God. But God's love is perfect, Ours is not, because we are broken and we put these conditions on it. That's why our love hurts so much sometimes. See, we are made in the image of God, made to reflect God's image. And if God is love, we are made to reflect God's love. But like looking in a broken mirror, our image is broken. We reflect a broken image of God. And if you were to take your hand and rub it across a broken mirror the glass would probably cut you and it'd probably hurt. And that's what we get with our love because we're broken in need of God's perfect love. But he is love, perfected. This is the, the big idea for today that I hope you walk out of here with is that Jesus born in the flesh, God born in the flesh is one of the greatest expressions of God's love. Not just for salvation, not just to save you, which we often talk about in Christianity, but we, we need God for salvation, which we do, but it's the greatest expression of God's love for his glory. It's for his glory so that we might in turn love him and love others. That we take his love, we learn from his love so that we can in turn love him, honor him, and also love others. So two, two big takeaways from today, to love God and to love others. As we walk through this Christmas season, and I know it's difficult for some, right? Christmas is, it's not easy, right? They make it look easy on TV. They make it like this Hallmark kind of Christmas, and it's not like that, right? We all walk through struggles during Christmas. 
But my hope and my prayer for you is that you would love God and love others no matter what your circumstance is this season. So let's look at this a little bit more. We love God because he first loved us. So how do we love God? Well, again, he didn't create us as robots. He didn't create us as puppets. He created us so that we were able to worship him, able to honor him, able to love him, to be in an appropriate relationship with him, one where he is given what he deserves, but one where we can flourish. He enables us to do that by loving us. So how do we love him in return? How do we hold up our end of the relationship? But there could be an exhaustive list on how we love God, but let's, let's make this very simple. To love someone, you have to know them. To love someone, you have to know them. And to know them, you have to spend time with them. All right? Simple as that. To love someone, you have to know them. And to know them, you have to spend time with them. And he loves us so much that he's given us two easy ways to do that. Scripture, the Bible, and prayer. Two easy ways to know God. Let's talk about Scripture. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not a self-help book. It's not a set of rules to follow for better living. It's about God. It's about his glory. It's about his power, his provision, and his love. And if you want to love God better, then getting to know him through the lens of this book is the best way I know how. And we have access to it literally in our pockets. Every day we have access to God's word. But for thousands of years, people didn't have that. They had to rely on others carrying around scrolls to teach them the God or others who memorized the word to teach them. But now we have instant access to God's word. But statistics say that only 30% of you, 30% of churchgoers, actually spend time reading their Bibles. 30%. The God who loved us enough to take on flesh, who humbled himself that much, but we can't take a few moments to love him enough back to read his word and to learn about him and to know him. Listen, as we come to the end of 2021 and look towards 2022, our encouragement as a church to you is to read your Bible. I know you hear that from churches all the time and you've heard it from here before, but you have to know God to love him. And it's at your fingertips. And there's so many, so many great plans. It's so easy to do a few minutes a day to know God better, to love God better. If you need help with that going into, into next year, talk to Brandon, talk to me, talk to one of our staff. We would love to help you and point you in that direction how you can know God better through his word. All right, the second thing was prayer. Prayer is our chance to talk with God, to praise him, to confess to him, to give thanks to him, to pray for needs, to lament. Prayer is our chance to love God to return the love to him. Listen, we want you here on Sundays, but if you had a seven-day-a-week, like, awesome prayer life, that would be better than coming here one Sunday a week. If you prayed to God every day, had a relationship with God through prayer every day, that would be way better than you coming here every week. But we, we want you here, and we're going to get to that too. 
But prayer is so powerful, and it's how we show God that we love him. I love Charles Spurgeon. He has so many great takes on prayer, but I came across this one this week. He says, true prayer is trading of the heart with God. True prayer is the trading of our hearts with God. Now, if you were with us in our series in Mark a few weeks ago, Brandon talked about our hearts and how bad they are. And the prophet Jeremiah says that our hearts are wicked above all else. But prayer gives us the opportunity to trade our wicked heart out with God for a new heart, a heart of love, so that then we can in turn love God and love others. Now prayer, it can be a tricky thing, I get that. I struggle with prayer. It's easy for prayer to become some like rote memorization practice where you just kind of say the same thing over and over again. You know, God bless this food. God, thank you for this day. Amen. Right? I have this discussion with my kids all the time because they pray the same things all the time. And I, I constantly tell them they got to mix it up some. Right, Austin? <laughs> Prayer's hard, right? But I think Scripture lays out some very practical steps to help us pray. Jesus himself tells us how to pray gives us models on how to pray. Now, it may look different for each of us. Some people do great going into a quiet space, kind of turning the lights down low, and just being quiet and praying to God. I fall asleep if I do that, right? I I can't stay focused. I either get tired or my mind wanders. I fall asleep. It's bad. I can't pray like that. Other people just pray constantly throughout the day and they're driving in their car and they're just constantly like muttering prayers and throughout, throughout their day they're doing that. That's awesome. That hasn't really worked for me either because again, I get distracted very easily. It's a squirrel, you know. But for me, what I found, and this is recent, when I pray, if I just find a space where I'm alone and pray out loud to God, just talk to him like he's in the room with me. Like he's physically right there. Just have a conversation with him. That's what's worked for me. So find what works for you. Talk to God. Show him that you love him by praying to him. So we love God first because he, we love God because he loved us first. And we express that love to God through reading his word and through praying to him. The second big, second big takeaway is to love others, to love others. We love others because God loves us. Look back at 1 John again, back to verse 7. He says, let us love one another. Let us love one another. Why? Why? Because God loves us. And if we are to love God well, then we need to love others well. So how do we love others well? It's the same simple answer as how we love God well. To love somebody, you have to know them, and to know them, you have to spend time with them. You can't love somebody if you're not with them. You can't love somebody if you don't know them. Let me give you a couple ways this plays out, specifically for us here at Mercy Hill, how our church sees this play out. Two ways, gospel community and gospel mission. Gospel community The love of God, the power of God, the mercy of God, the provisions of God, the mission of God are best expressed in gospel community. There's a reason that's one of our core values here at Mercy Hill. See, God loves us, and he equips, equips us to love him. He also equips us to love others. And as we love others, that equips them to love God, and it's just this big circle of love, right? 
The world would be a lot better place if we could all get into that wheel. But Christianity void of community, Christianity without community is not biblical Christianity. I don't even know if you can call it Christianity because the Bible doesn't teach it that way. I came across an article from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary this week, and it said, a Christian without community is like a song without a melody, right? It doesn't make sense. You know, there's been a trend of late, even before the pandemic, where, where Christians were disassociating with church, disassociating with community uh, because they didn't like certain things about it and trying to find alternative means to practice their faith. That's not biblical. Christianity without community is not biblical. I'll never tell anybody, I won't tell you that you have to go to church to be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to go to church to be saved and to follow Jesus. But the greatest expression of God's love is found in community, in Christian community. You love others by knowing them. You love others by spending time with them. Listen, you can't be in Christian community. You can't be in Christian fellowship by attending church or, or your MC once every four to eight weeks. That's what statistics say. I think it's up to almost eight weeks now that people go to church, once every eight weeks. How can you be in community when you see people every couple months? You don't know them. You can't love them. This isn't me trying to come down on you for not coming to church. I understand we all have schedules and we all have hardships and jobs and life and it gets in the way. But God is calling us to community because he loves us and that's how we love him and love others. Gospel community, gospel mission. We love others through gospel mission. Jesus said he didn't come to be served he didn't take on flesh. He wasn't born of a woman to be served, but to serve. And that's God expressing his love again. And he calls us to do the same thing. He calls us to serve in our families, to serve in our gospel communities, to serve to our neighbors, and to serve the nations, to share the love of God everywhere. And that requires sacrifice, requires time, discomfort, suffering. For some, that's required death. People have died to get this message of love out. It's hard, but God's love for us demands that we share it. It's not just for us. It's for the world. His love is for the whole world. He demands that we share it. And we try to build our church around this model so we can help each other do this. That's why we have missional communities, not just to get together and talk and share meals, but to get together to live on mission right here in Cobb County, right here in your neighborhoods to serve other people. That's why we have relationships with uh, Dow Elementary School. That's why we had Hope for Christmas yesterday and served 50 families for Christmas. That's why we started relationships with the Table on Delk so we can serve women in our community. That's why we have relationships with the North American Mission Board and the IMB so we can send missionaries all over North America and all over the world. We want you to be a part of that mission. We want you to be in our community and we want you to be on mission with us. That's how we show God's love. So we show God's love at Christmas. That's how we love God back. 
by being on mission for him. All right. So we talked about God's love through creation. Talked about God's love through a nation, through Israel. Talked about God's love through the incarnation, through Christmas, through Christ taking on flesh, Jesus taking on flesh, serving us. There's one more example of God's love. That's what we call consummation. What does consummation mean? Well, if you look up in Webster's, one of the definitions for consummation is the ultimate end. The ultimate end. You see, the story of the incarnation ends with the ultimate display of God's love. God took on flesh so he could take on a cross. He took on flesh so he could take on a cross. And John says it this way in verse 10. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That he sent Jesus to the cross for us to pay the penalty for our disobedience, the propitiation, the replacement, the payment for us. That was his mission. That's why he humbled himself and took on flesh, to take that for us. Because he loves us. He loves us enough to take on flesh and to take on the cross. But because he loves us, we have the option to, to rebel to not accept that love. And I think nine times out of 10, we often take that rebellious path, right? And sometimes it leads to pleasure, sometimes it leads to gain, but ultimately that's temporary. It's finite, and it'll eventually lead to death and separation from God. But his love on the cross is infinite. He's inviting us into that relationship with him. I don't know where you guys are at today in your relationship with God. But the Bible says that if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, sorry, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he will save you. He will save you from this finite life and give you infinite glory with him. I don't know what better gift there is at Christmas time. One that doesn't come with any strings attached. One that is just unconditional love right there for you to take. So no matter what you're struggling with today, what you're struggling with this season, God loves you. He loved you enough to take on flesh, to step down from his throne of creation placing the stars in the galaxies to take on flesh, to humble himself, to serve us, to show us how to love others, and to go to a cross so that you may have eternal life. There's no better gift at Christmas time. If you've never received that, if you've never humbled yourself before him, why not today? Why not receive the greatest gift you can at Christmas time today? He loves us so that we can love him, that we can love others, and he loved us enough to die on a cross. Let's pray.